Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is like a 2020 episode, got drunk, hooked up with a 48-hour special, cheated on investigation discovery, and had a baby with Dateline. I could not make this case up if I tried. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Three-year-old Rachel Del Tondo was gorgeous. And I'm talking the kind of gorgeous where she walks into the room and you have to talk yourself out of throwing shade at her just because she's so pretty. She came from a close-knit Italian family who lived in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, and they were pretty well-known around town. Rachel was an elementary school teacher for a while and was known as the cool teacher. When kids were acting up, the staff would use her as a bribe and tell them that they could go down the hall to see Miss D if they had a good day. She eventually got a job as an online teacher for the Pennsylvania Cyber Charter School, which she stayed at for 10 years. She fell in love with her students and was even known to talk with them outside of school about whatever was going on in their lives, good or bad, and they loved her. People called her a do-gooder. She was one of those people who was always on a mission and was always willing to go the extra mile to help someone out. She had a friend who had gotten addicted to drugs, and Rachel took it upon herself to organize an intervention for her friend and even watch that friend's child for them while they got help. Rachel had been dating her boyfriend, Frank, for more than half a decade, and he finally popped the question. People knew who Rachel was, but everyone knew who Frank was. He was the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and was known as the Wolf of Aliquippa. Unfortunately, he did not look like Leonardo DiCaprio. He wined and dined Rachel in Paris and even bought her a shiny white Range Rover. They started planning their wedding and it was not about to disappoint. These two families went big or they didn't go at all. Rachel custom ordered a $10,000 dress and they booked a super fancy venue. And while everything seemed really glamorous on the outside, the relationship itself was pretty touch and go. There were allegations of cheating every now and then, and they were from either side. They were known to break up and make up over and over again. Rachel's family wasn't super pumped about how long it took Frank to propose, and when he finally did, they weren't super pumped about how much input he wanted to have on the wedding. In early 2017, February or March, Rachel and Frank were at a get-together with some friends when she and her friend Lauren got into some kind of weird argument. She accused Rachel of doing drugs, and Rachel was like, what the fuck are you talking about? She'd never been known to do a single drug in her life, so she wasn't sure where this was coming from. And it turned into a nasty mess. So nasty that her friend blurted out something along the lines of, well, why don't you tell Frank about that guy in your car last year? And this is where shit goes downhill fast. Rachel's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And her and Frank kind of sort of move on for a couple months, but nothing is ever really the same after. The two finally call it quits for good. And Rachel's family is left scrambling, trying to get their $4,000 deposit back for that $10,000 custom dress they were having made. But the company said no. They refused, saying the deposit was non-refundable. So Rachel's mom, Lisa, said, okay, then let me just buy the dress like I had originally planned and I'll just sell it. But they never produced the dress either. Naturally, Lisa takes the company to small claims court for their $4,000, but they don't show up. And the judge orders them to pay Lisa $4,600 within 30 days. But 
they don't. So Lisa goes to the news about it, and Marty Griffin, a reporter for KDKA, gets in contact with this company, and they finally respond. They said that there had been some deaths in the family and that they'd been out of town, but that they'd be sending Lisa a certified check. Finally, Lisa gets her check, and inside is a handwritten note that says, Please no, Marty, the reporter, had nothing to do with this. Nothing. Okay, drama. This was only the beginning of the insane amount of drama that was about to unfold. In October of 2017, someone walked into the Aliquippa Police Department and asked for a copy of a police report regarding an incident involving Rachel and who they refer to as a former student of hers. But there isn't one. Police had run into Rachel, parked in an empty lot around 2 a.m. with a 16-year-old boy in her car in February of 2016, more than a year and a half prior, but a report hadn't been written up about it yet. Which is absolutely absurd. Most police reports are written directly after the call or before the officer goes off shift for the night. But this one... This one wasn't written up until more than a year later when someone started asking around about it. You have to wonder, if there was no report, how did anyone even know it happened? So the officer writes up the report and gives it to the person asking for it and nothing is redacted. Her full name, the minor's name, even their social security numbers were on this report. A report that frankly should not have been released because no arrests were ever made. It was literally labeled for official use only. But that doesn't matter because whoever this invisible man was made copies and copies and copies texts were sent out to people all around town, emails of the report were sent to officials, media outlets, and even the Pennsylvania Cyber Charter School that she worked for. The report said officers found her and then 16-year-old Sheldon Jeter in a fogged-up car in an abandoned parking lot at close to 2 o'clock in the morning. Sheldon's seat was reportedly reclined all the way back. When the officer asked what they were doing there, both of them said that they were just talking and that Sheldon had called her and said that there were some things going on at home and he was upset and needed someone to talk to, so she picked him up and they parked there to talk. And as shifty as it might sound, there's nothing that proved that that wasn't true or that anything else had gone on. So the officer takes Sheldon home, never speaking to his parents, and Rachel asks him not to tell Frank about it because he'd get upset. He was out of town for the Super Bowl that week and, you know, rich people shit. Frank had connections within the police department. His dad was a cop, and he had even donated them a canine cruiser at one point. Aliquippa is tiny. I called the department, and they said there were only 10 officers. 10. So if you know one, you know them all at this point. But in the end, I guess they kind of did keep her secret. Until now, at least. The texts and emails with this report also alleged that the 16-year-old was a former student of hers and that they'd had a relationship that developed over text and Snapchat, but somehow couldn't muster up any evidence for that. In November of 2017, Rachel was suspended from her job pending an investigation, but noted that Sheldon had never been enrolled in their school. Sheldon had attended the elementary school she worked at years and years prior, but was never one of her students. He, according to the Daily Mail, is one of the kids who would be able to hang out with Misty if he had had a good day. 
She had known him since he was in elementary school and had kept in contact with him for that long. News reports were going wild. She lost her job. Sheldon's own parents had no idea this had ever happened. The department claimed they'd investigated this incident twice and that nothing was found, which I find hard to believe because it's hard to investigate something there's no report of. Regardless, Rachel's life and reputation was actively being ruined. She lost her fiancé, she lost her job, she lost her credibility, and no one knew who was behind it. Five months later, Rachel would be found shot to death in her driveway. On Sunday, May 13th, 2018, on Mother's Day of all days, Rachel went out to get some late night ice cream with a couple of her friends. They dropped her off in the 2100 block of Buchanan Street in Beaverton, Pennsylvania at 1044 p.m. And at 1045 p.m., neighbors reported hearing multiple gunshots going off in their quiet, secluded little neighborhood in suburbia. Rachel lived with her parents, and when they heard the shots, they ran outside to see what was going on. They didn't see anyone running. They didn't see anyone speeding off. They just saw their daughter lying at the end of their driveway, dead. She had been shot in the torso ten times. Ten! This was overkill. This was personal. But who did it? There wasn't a shortage of people that clearly had a vendetta against Rachel. But who would want her dead and why? The list you already thought was long was about to get a lot longer. Police investigate the crime scene all throughout the night and by Monday morning say that they're checking out surveillance cameras throughout the neighborhood to see anyone who went in or came out of the neighborhood around the time Rachel was shot. They've also seized several cell phones they plan to go through to see who Rachel was talking to the night she was killed, what was said, and where their phones pinged. But this is when the dark underbelly of this town starts to unravel. A local news agency called the Beaver Counton reveals that Rachel had actually been working with an investigative reporter of theirs as a confidential source to help uncover corruption in the local police department. And I'm talking big shit like organized crime. The state police had already opened an investigation into the department after her report was released and actually barred Aliquippa PD from having access to any statewide databases between December of 2017 until February of 2018. How they still managed to do their job is beyond me. The Beaverton Countant actually did an article about it back in December of 2017, and someone commented asking if anyone knew when Jennifer was getting whacked. And that comment kind of summarized what she was going through. Once Rachel started working with the Beaver Countant, she started getting death threats. Some of them even went to her parents' home phone. Her mom, Lisa, called the police about the threats, one of which promised Rachel wouldn't see the end of 2018. It's no shock that it took four days for someone to call her back about the threats. And yes, I said call. When they finally did respond, it was just a phone call. And let's reiterate, Rachel did not live to see the end of 2018. 
While the police department eventually got their access to statewide databases back, the investigation into the department was still ongoing on so many levels. In fact, Rachel was scheduled to testify in front of a grand jury about it days before she was gunned down in her driveway. By Tuesday, police determined that they're investigating this as a crime of passion. You don't say. They add that she likely knew her killer. But that doesn't narrow anything down. Was it someone pissed about the night in the car with Sheldon? Are they pissed about the wedding dress debacle? Are they pissed she was outing the police department? The same department that's now investigating her murder? There is no shortage of people who seem to have some kind of motive here. The Beaverton County District Attorney tells KDKA that they could not be taking this more seriously. But with all this new information coming out, people have their doubts. And these doubts are only furthered after the Beaverton County, who covered every piece of this case that I think a lot of other outlets were afraid to, reported that the Aliquippa police chief is looking to take action against an officer who quote-unquote engaged in unprofessional conduct that might have contaminated Rachel's crime scene. Not soon after, it said that a sergeant was placed on paid administrative leave because he was the father of the girl who dropped Rachel off at her house one single minute before she was murdered. That officer is the officer who found her in the car with Sheldon two years prior and wrote up that report a year and a half later. And in case you were thinking they were now down two officers, you'd be wrong. The officer they claim may have contaminated the crime scene is the same officer they said was placed on administrative leave because he was too close to the case. And yes, he is the father of Lauren, the girl who dropped Rachel off the night she was killed. Take it all in. The locals say that he returned to the crime scene that night with his daughter while he was off-duty, crossed the crime scene tape, and got into an argument with another officer on scene. According to locals, this officer returned to the scene that night with his daughter while off-duty, crossed the crime scene tape, and got into an argument with another officer on the scene. Rachel's ex, Frank, knows he's going to be questioned, so he takes the initiative to head down to the police station with his lawyer in tow to answer any questions they have. Frank tells them that he spent Sunday visiting his and his girlfriend's mom, then grabbed something to eat and spent the rest of the night in his apartment, which could be corroborated by their security cameras, so he seems pretty solid here. His attorney does an interview with the Times Online, and they bring up the possibility of it being a murder for hire if Frank wasn't physically there, and he basically tells him, look, there's no motive here. They had both moved on. Rachel was dating someone new. Frank was dating someone new. There wouldn't be any reason that he would want or need Rachel dead, and I'm kind of with him here. Of all the potential suspects, none of which have been officially named suspects, Frank kind of does seem the least likely at this point. On Thursday, May 17th, the Beaverton County reveals that a search warrant has been issued on the home of Sheldon Jeter, the not-former student who Rachel was found in the car with two years prior. They had actually spoken to him at 5 a.m. the morning after her murder, and according to officers, he didn't seem to show any emotion whatsoever when they told him why they were there. 
They asked him where he'd been the night before, and he said he'd run into Rachel and a white girl, Lauren, at the Circle K, and they said that they were going to get ice cream. Then he said he took some buddies home and went home himself, then had a girl who he wouldn't name come pick him up and take him to his mom's place, which he allegedly wouldn't give the address to. Then he said his mom's boyfriend, who he also wouldn't name, drove him back home, and then he just spent the rest of the night writing lyrics and playing video games. They asked him for the clothes he had been wearing that night before, and he gave them a windbreaker, a pair of khakis, a hat, and some shoes. But when police did further investigating throughout the week, they noticed that what Sheldon was seen wearing didn't match the clothes he had given them. And of all the places they did see Sheldon on CCTV, like Walmart and Wendy's, one of which is less than a mile from Rachel's house, they saw no footage of him at the Circle K. If he wasn't there, how did he know she was with Lauren, and how did he know they were going to get ice cream that night? Obviously, they have several questions, and thus the warrant. They look for bloody clothes, which they don't find. They look for a 9mm weapon, which they don't find. So we can safely assume now that the weapon used to kill Rachel was a 9mm handgun. They took some notebooks, clothes, his cell phone, his PlayStation, you know, all the things. Now that they have everyone's cell phones, shit starts to get real, real fast, and we get an idea of what Rachel did the night she was murdered who she was with, and how they're all intertwined in the weirdest circle I have ever seen. So hold on to your britches. We know that Rachel went to get ice cream with her friend Lauren right before she was murdered. What you didn't know was that Lauren was a minor. Lauren, like Sheldon, was a teenager. Around 8 p.m. on the evening of the 13th, Lauren picked up 33-year-old Rachel Del Tondo and they drove to the Circle K. This is where surveillance picks up her and Lauren but doesn't pick up Sheldon even though he says he ran into the two of them here. If he didn't run into them, it's really suspect that he knows that they were there and what they planned on doing after. Anyways, they leave the Circle K and head over to their friend Chris's house and stay for an hour or so before they head back to Rachel's parents' house so she can change her clothes. Rachel gets back into Lauren's car and gets a text at 9.29 p.m. from Sheldon that says, I won't go, okay? Which has me asking a bunch of questions. She was obviously telling him she didn't want him going somewhere, but what was said before that? But let's continue with the rest of the night. Rachel's back in Lauren's car now, and they're headed to downtown Aliquippa to pick up Tyree Jeter. Jeter. They picked up the 26-year-old older brother of Sheldon Jeter. I'm going to make this even a little weirder than it already is. I mentioned earlier that both Frank and Rachel were dating new people. Rachel was dating a man named Rashawn. Rashawn was the older brother of both Sheldon and Tyree Jeter. She was caught in the car with 16-year-old Sheldon Jeter two years before she was killed. She met up with Tyree Jeter the night of her murder and had been dating Sheldon and Tyree's older brother Rashawn for the last six months. Take a minute. 
So they pick up Tyree and head to Hank's frozen custard, where Tyree gets a text from Sheldon at 10.07 that asks if they were all at the ice cream shop already. Then texts again saying, I got left, huh? With six smiling emojis, which is so creepy. It honestly sounds like he was still talking to his older brother as if maybe he was going to be going with them, but 31 minutes prior had texted Rachel telling her that okay, he wouldn't go. Tyree doesn't text Sheldon back until they leave at 10.30pm and tells him that Hanks is closed. They leave and Lauren starts texting Rachel while she's still in the car. At 10.41pm, Lauren texts Rachel and says, go for a walk, I'll pick you up later, to which she responds, you serious? At 10.44pm, which would have been right when she was parked out in front of her house or getting out of the car. Lauren says she left and drove Tyree up to Main Street, texting Rachel 10 minutes later at 10.54pm with, be there soon and on my way at 11pm. Lauren tries to call Rachel at 11.07 p.m., but she doesn't answer. And this is because Rachel's dead. She was shot 10 times in the torso just one minute after being dropped off at her house. Lauren told police she didn't see or hear anything after dropping Rachel off and driving away, but that's a little hard to believe. You can hear a gunshot up to two miles away. It would take someone four minutes and 48 seconds to drive two miles at 25 miles per hour, you know, the speed limit in a neighborhood. Rachel was killed within 60 seconds of getting out of Lauren's car. Whoever killed Rachel would have had to know she'd be outside of her house that late at night on Mother's Day. On May 18th, the Daily Mail does a report on Rachel's boyfriend, Sheldon and Tyree's older brother, Rashawn, and his interview makes everything worse, as if that's even humanly possible at this point. He says that when him and Rachel started dating back in December of 2017, he called Sheldon to ask him about what had happened in the car that night. And when he did, Sheldon just said, why are you calling me, bro? You never call. You weird as fuck. And hung up. Okay. Fast forward two months and Rashawn and Rachel are standing outside of Rashawn's house when out of nowhere, his little brother Sheldon, who doesn't seem to be particularly close to him, pulls out front and then pulls away. Rashawn called Sheldon and told him that if there was a problem, he needed to come back and talk to him about it. So Sheldon pulls back around, gets out of his car and starts yelling. That bitch told me she was with Amy and then yells at Rachel and says, if my brother wasn't here, I'd fuck you up. Clearly, Sheldon had some feelings and always seemed to know where Rachel was, whether he's keeping tabs on her or she's telling him since she clearly told him she was with whoever Amy is. Why is she still talking to Sheldon? And with that, why is she lying to him about where she is? Was she leading him on or was she trying to keep his potentially jealous feelings at bay without hurting him? Rachel had told Rashawn that she felt like she was being followed, but... Followed by who? The police, who she was about to testify in front of a grand jury about? By whoever got the police report and sent it to anyone with opposable thumbs? Or by Sheldon? It doesn't help the suspicion on Sheldon when we find out that he allegedly made a phone call to a mystery number at 10.46pm the night Rachel was murdered just one minute after she was killed.
On March 19th, another search warrant is issued, but it's for Frank, Rachel's ex. The warrant is honestly really shady. It says that his key fob never swiped into his apartment complex the entire day of the 13th and that there are no security cameras showing him going into his apartment. But you just need a key fob to get into the entire complex, not into the apartment. Any neighbor could have let him in. I used to go in behind my neighbors when they'd put in their key code and open the gate. I'm not about to let it close just so I can use my own code to get in. And they're right, there were no cameras specifically set on Frank's apartment because why would there be? But there were cameras showing him coming into the complex well before Rachel was shot and leaving the next morning well after she was shot. No one really understands the point of this warrant and it came up completely empty. Just two days after that, another warrant is issued and this time it's for Stephanie. Stephanie is the mother of Lauren and the husband of that officer on admin leave. They want access to her private Facebook account. There is no mention whatsoever about the probable cause that got them this warrant or what they were hoping to find or what they did find. So we've gone from Sheldon to Frank to the mother of the girl Rachel was with the night she was murdered in just a matter of days. And on May 23rd, it's back to Sheldon. Rachel's mom does an interview with the Daily Mail and says that Sheldon was obsessed with her daughter. Apparently, sometime in 2017, after Rachel and Frank broke up, Sheldon called their house and Lisa picked up the phone. Sheldon gave no fucks and decided this was the time he was going to profess his undying love for Rachel to her mother and even said he wanted to marry her. Sheldon's attorney reacts by saying that his client was never in love with Rachel, that their relationship was purely based on sex. Though, Lisa says Rachel never had any kind of physical relationship with him. And this is where his attorney pisses me the fuck off. He has the audacity to say that Sheldon only liked her because Rachel was a quote-unquote frequent flyer for a lot of guys, and adds that he did care enough about her not to press charges on her in 2017 like the state police wanted him to. What? Since when and what charges? The police department said they investigated the reportless incident twice and found nothing. They didn't catch them doing anything nefarious, and if they had, the age of consent in Pennsylvania is 16. So again, what charges? And at what point were the state police ever investigating Rachel? Weren't they investigating the department that leaked her information? Bottom line, it sounds a lot like Sheldon's attorney is trying to squash any kind of jealousy narrative regarding this crime of passion. Two weeks go by with no news whatsoever until there's a city council meeting. The Beaverton accountant comes through again and posts a video of this city council meeting and it is pure gold. The chief of police is front and center with other city council members behind him. They go over various issues and the chief doesn't seem to care too much at all, periodically picking up his phone and holding it up in front of him, typing with one single finger. But at the very end of the meeting, one of the council members asks three of the Aliquippa police officers to come up to the front and the chief gets a little smirk on his face. It's wiped off as soon as this council member says that he'd like to make a motion to put the chief on paid administrative leave, citing a personnel issue. 
This guy's face turns a kind of red only Crayola could appreciate. It's really quiet for the longest second in Aliquippa history until you hear a second guy say, I'll second. Someone starts a roll call vote and every single one of them says, yes, 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 yes. As the chief just stares at them, not saying a word. This dude got voted out and had to turn over his gun badge, patrol car, and keys, and was escorted out of the building by what used to be his own officers. People tried to say that it had nothing to do with Rachel's investigation, and my initial response was, okay, whatever. But then I'm reminded that this department is all sorts of fucked forward, sideways, and backwards. The assistant chief immediately took over as acting chief, and according to the Beaverton Countant, his first rule of order was going to be asking the Pennsylvania State Police to take over Rachel's case, saying that Aliquippa never should have been investigating it. And they all said amen. That amen lasted about two whole days before he was arrested. Yes, the new chief was arrested just two days after the old one was voted out. For what? Felony distribution of sexually explicit material to a minor, felony unlawful contact with a minor, and misdemeanor corruption of minors. According to WXPI, the Beaverton County Detective Bureau got consent to go through several phones and found a group text between the new chief, someone he refers to as his co-worker, his co-worker's wife, and their daughter. In the group text, the new chief sent a video of a naked woman from the waist down, exposing her butt and vagina, urinating on a park swing. Again, you cannot make this shit up. When he sent it, his co-worker's wife responded that he was a perv and that their daughter didn't need to see that, to which he responded, she's 21. The co-worker's wife corrected him, responding with, 17. The 17-year-old girl in this group text was Lauren Watkins. Still think the old chief getting fired had nothing to do with Rachel's case? I don't know how many times this case can come full circle before it implodes. Aliquippa is now down a sergeant and two police chiefs. The Beaverton Countant wastes no time and gets an interview with the newly fired second chief, who says that the text was an accident and bear with him for a second. He said he meant to send it to Kenneth, Lauren's dad, but accidentally sent it to a group text. And I think we've all done that, which is why I delete every single group text as soon as they're finished. I don't know how many times I've texted my dad on accident because he was in a group text with my husband and it's awkward. Anyways, he says that his arrest is in retaliation and initially I wanted to roll my eyes, but this text happened in early March. Why didn't they care about it back then, before Rachel was dead, before the old chief was fired, and before he said he was going to ask the state police to take over the case? Remember, the detectives didn't say they got a warrant for those phones. They said they got consent. Who told them about this month-old text that no one cared about until now? When he finally went to court for these charges in October of 2017, Lauren testified for the defense. And they said they wanted nothing to do with this and alleged that Lauren was threatened that if she didn't cooperate, they'd arrest her father. What the fuck is happening in Aliquippa? And an arrest for what? What else could there possibly be? 
On June 12th, the Daily Mail drops a bombshell. They say that just days after Rachel was murdered, someone came into the Circle K and gave a woman working there a handwritten and folded letter and told her to mail it to her baby daddy, who was an inmate at the Beaverton County Jail. He gets this letter and it tells him that the writer saw Rachel get shot and says that they won't go to jail if they just tell police what really happened. We don't get a whole read of the letter, but those are the pieces we get. And it sounds like this person was trying to convince themselves that if they just told police the truth, everything would be okay. Which seems obvious, unless the person who shot Rachel was a cop. And that's what it said. The inmate told no one about the letter. He ripped it in half and gave the bottom half of it to his cellmate. And even though he didn't tell anyone about this letter, detectives came to visit him about it in the county jail. He tells him that they don't know what they're talking about and a few days later tells his mom about the letter when she comes to visit him. She doesn't trust the police, so she calls the state police to tell them about it. And just a few days later, his cell is raided. But... Not before his cellmate mailed the bottom half of that letter to his attorney. Yeah! Yeah! All right! Yes! If you thought this was going to stop the fuckery that was unfolding by the psychic PD, you'd be wrong. After their cell was raided for this letter, the cellmate's attorney's office is raided, and then a gag order is placed on the attorney. He cannot legally talk to anyone about Rachel's case or the letter. That letter was allegedly sent and signed by none other than Lauren freaking Watkins. I'll give you a second to pick your jaw up off the floor. Lauren's letter said that she saw the entire thing and that a cop had killed her friend. It's starting to make more sense as to why her dad went to the scene that night off duty and got into it with an officer and why they decided he needed to be put on administrative leave. Naturally, once all this comes out about the letter, the department claims that it's fake and that they did handwriting analysis and blah, blah, blah. The Beaverton County reports that the inmate the letter was sent to was offered a sweet plea deal for the charges he was in on, completely unrelated to Rachel's case, for telling them everything he knew about the letter. And of course, according to them, he said the letter was fake. And who wouldn't for a free get-out-of-jail card? They went through a whole lot of psychic training, cell rating, office rating, and gag ordering for a letter they claim was bullshit. On June 13th, the new new police chief steps in and removes Aliquippa PD from Rachel's case. And again, they all say, Amen. And then, crickets. Nothing. There isn't a single peep about Rachel's case for five months. Until the Beaverton County gets a hold of probably the closest witness there is to this case other than Lauren. His name is Dion Moreland and says that he was smoking behind his house in the same block that Rachel lived on when he heard the gunshots. He said he ran out front immediately and saw nothing. Not Rachel, not anyone running from the house, just heard gunshots and poof. Dion Moreland is the cousin of Sheldon Jeter. 
Kenneth Watkins gets his job back as a sergeant for the Aliquippa PD. Lord knows they need him since they lost two chiefs while he was gone. But the DA throws a huge fit and refuses to prosecute any cases where he was the arresting officer and even goes as far as saying he plans to drop any pending charges that Watkins filed against anyone. Watkins voluntarily takes a demotion for who knows why and nothing else happens. An entire year passes and they're no closer to solving Rachel Del Tondo's murder than they were the night that it happened. And frankly, this is the only case where I can say they're probably farther away from solving her murder now than they were before. It's been more than two years now and no one has been arrested and there are more questions than there are answers about this case. What happened with those phone pings that they said they were going to do on day one? Where was everyone? Who can be ruled out? Who can't be? Did police ever trace the caller of those threatening phone calls who told Rachel she wouldn't live to see the end of 2018? And if so, who did they come from? And if Lauren did in fact see a cop kill her best friend, why did she text her 10 minutes later saying she was on her way? And if Lauren saw who killed Rachel and Tyree was in the car, wouldn't he have seen them too? I just so happen to be searching Sheldon's name on Facebook, looking to find any comments on old articles from people who might have known him, but instead, new articles were popping up. On May 16th of this year, Sheldon Jeter was charged with murder, not the murder of Rachel Del Tondo. After a late night outing to get ice cream with a friend, his friend was found shot to death in the middle of the street and Sheldon Jeter was arrested for it. The caliber of the weapon is not the same as the weapon used to kill Rachel, but it makes you wonder. If any updates come in on the murder of Rachel Del Tondo, you know that I will update you the second it happens. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Rachel's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about the convoluted insanity that is this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just $1 a month, all of your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, like today. All your episodes are totally ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.